Hey Jexiteers, thanks again for stopping by. If you're new to the channel, my name is Riley and I'm a former Jehovah's Witness. And today I'm interviewing Rachel Solani. Rachel faded from the JW religion in 2020 and is now fulfilling her dream of a university education and pursuing a career as an artist. Hi Rachel, how are you doing? Hi Riley, I'm very good, thank you. I'm really good. I discovered you on YouTube not too long ago. I was uh, browsing for XJW stories as I often do and I came across your YouTube channel where you spoke about your experiences. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So um, I, my, my kind of background with waking up is um, it all started happening around 2019, which I um, mentioned in my video, which you probably saw. Um, there were like a sequence of events that happened um, all to do with people kind of in my life who pointed out the fact that I was perhaps in a cult. Um, of course, back then it didn't quite register because I'd always grown up with the knowledge that the truth was exactly that, the truth. Um, and so it was perhaps... Um, after going through maybe a, a phase of depression that I started to reevaluate my life and the things that people had been saying and telling me um, then started to register as true. Um, and it was after a trip to Zimbabwe where I was able to compare um, my JW life in England to um, my JW life in Zimbabwe that I started to come to the conclusion that it was an organizational thing that the things that I was seeing, um, so the cliques within congregations and also the unfair treatment of brothers and sisters um, was across the board. And it wasn't just in my congregation in England, but rather also in Zimbabwe. And so what I started to realize was that perhaps the life I'd been living was actually a lie. And I guess that that's when you could say my eyes were being opened. And I did some more soul searching. And then I also, um, like many XJWs in the community, I then started to watch videos. And um, all these thoughts I was having kind of rung true um, across so many different stories that I was hearing. Um, and I realized that it was the religion that needed to go. <laughs> well, thank you for giving us that, that overview. Um, so a lot has happened in in a very short space of time because um, it's only 2021, and uh, all of this <laughs> all of this took place in 2020. So you're yeah. very newly um, woken up. Yeah, absolutely. If we back up a little bit, tell tell us a little bit about um, your your childhood as a Jehovah's Witness and your um, upbringing. Okay, so um, as a Jehovah's Witness, uh, I was part of a small congregation um, in the countryside. I suppose you could call it the countryside. It was a small town. Um, and my mom kind of um, raised me and my sister and also our, our other siblings um, within the religion. Um, so we didn't know any different. Um, we didn't really have any outside influences uh, that could, you know... Um, tell us that it was incorrect teachings, I suppose. Um, so I suppose what you could say is we lived quite a sheltered life. Um, there weren't many young people my age, 
growing up as a JW, um, especially my, my kind of age group um, within our congregation growing up, um, my sister's seven years older than I am. So there were people her age that she could associate with. But then for me, um, I was kind of in between because there were people that were older and then people that were younger. So I was slap bang in the middle. So I I think I had quite a, a lonely upbringing in the truth. I, don't, I can't remember myself having many friends. Um, I didn't really get out much. And of course, you know, it's always drilled into you that worldly influences are bad. And so I wasn't really allowed to go around my um, worldly friends' houses to play or anything like that. So um, I think that's probably where my art then developed because I had so much time to myself. I then just worked on art. But um, yeah, so we'd have to do the usual ministry, Bible study, ETC, things like that. And then on the odd occasion, we'd be invited around by brothers and sisters to go to their houses for maybe dinner um lunch for association mm, right so it, it sounds as if you you know you really struggled to find a place to to fit in absolutely absolutely yeah and how did that make you feel i mean um did you at that stage did you put that down to the religion or did you just accept it as the way things were you know um i just accepted it as the way it was meant to be because um, if I ever brought it up to anyone, um, especially older sisters within the congregation, I was always told, you know, it's good to have a diverse range of friends with different age groups. It doesn't matter that you're the only one of your age. Um, And that's how Jehovah meant it to be. Because on Paradise, you're not only going to be associating with people who are your age and you can learn a great deal from older ones so for me growing up with that kind of thinking I just found it to be normal and I thought well this is what Jehovah wants for me so I just went along with it I didn't really and also plus you're not taught to question things so of course if you're told a statement you're going to go along with it and you're going to believe it as truth yeah 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 absolutely so how did things progress when you um, got older into like your teenage years Well, um, going into my teenage years, um, there was always the kind of influence from friends, I suppose. You'd see young ones getting into relationships, young ones going out to parties, young ones um, just having fun, you know. Um, And I kind of wanted to do that, but I was always scared. So um, I kept to myself most of the times. I, I mean, my worldly friends would always try and um, get me to come out with them, but I was always very cautious because it, it was a small town that I lived in. You could be seen by anyone, essentially. Um, so that was kind of difficult. I did sometimes feel like I was missing out. Um, but to counteract that, I then tried to start making friends with people in different congregations. Um, so I'd, I'd visit uh, neighbouring congregations um, to try and make some friends. But it was so difficult, Riley. It was so difficult because, as I've mentioned before, they were very clicky. And um, within the JW community, what, what I found was that there's certain categories. So um, as a young person, um, I came from a single parent home. 
that immediately meant that I was not going to be deemed as spiritually strong as per- like perhaps a, a person who comes from a two-parent family with a dad as an elder, you know? So those ones usually kept to themselves. Um, so if you're trying to penetrate this group, they're not going to allow you. Um, they'll just kind of keep you on the sidelines. So it was very difficult. So it just left me kind of in limbo because I was not allowed to hang out with my worldly friends and I couldn't find a group of friends within the truth, within the organization. Um, so I suppose it was quite lonely and you go, you kind of go through the motions as a young person you're trying to find yourself and you're trying to find your place in the world somehow and within the organization as well. And if you're not fitting in, you think it's your fault. You think there's something wrong with you. Um, so it was very difficult. Um, and there were certain things that happened when I was kind of growing up that gave me the impression that I was always being watched. I mean, um, I can recall one convention or assembly um and that was the only time that i could see people who i knew who were my age from different congregations within our circuit and uh, i remember i was really close friends with this one girl and her dad um and her dad kind of looked at, at at me kind of like a second daughter you could say so whenever he saw me he used to give me like a really strong bear hug you know just to show kind of like affection you know we had that kind of like jokey kind of really sweet relationship um and I I remember this one time he gave me that really strong bear hug and right behind him I could see an elder from our congregation and uh you can probably guess what happened but um uh that happened on a Sunday and I think we were wrapping up the assembly um so come the Thursday and my mum had already received a call from the elder saying we need to talk to you about Rachel because I was an unbaptized publisher at that point, working my way up to becoming baptized. And this elder, he saw that as inappropriate behavior from my part. So um, they arranged to have a meeting with me and another elder on the Sunday. So come the Sunday now after the meetings and I'm taken to the kitchen um, because the B school was preoccupied with an elders meeting, I believe. Um, and the elder who'd seen me hugging this other brother, he told me that it was essentially inappropriate of me because I was coming of age. I was 18 at that point. So he said to me that hugging a male, um, in that kind of capacity was wrong because, um, the male could get certain types of feelings towards me because I'm blooming or blossoming right and I was a very very innocent girl like 18 I know that to many people that's kind of like oh you'd be dating and everything I wasn't dating I didn't do anything like that so I was so upset that they thought this of me you know and I remember um coming out of the kitchen and I and I started crying and I just walked home and I was so upset because it was um it was putting my kind of character to question and essentially making me out as something that I wasn't as a seductress essentially um and then also um in the meeting they told me that I shouldn't hug anyone that the best course of action for me was to not show any affection like that
Wow. Wow. That's ridiculous. This is probably going to be a really stupid question. I think I already know the answer before asking it. But do you know if they spoke to him at all? Do they, you know, did they question him about his behavior that they, you know, deem to be inappropriate? No, they didn't. Of course not. Of course not. Like I said, I knew that was going to be the answer before I even asked. Absolutely. This is the thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, boy. It's, it's, it's disgusting. Yeah, I was I was very disappointed. And, you know, I lost a great deal of trust um, after that. I didn't trust the elders after that because I just thought, well, you're obviously watching me and you're expecting something bad from me. So you already have a preconceived notion of what I should be like. Um, yeah. So bad. So bad. So you're you were 18 at this point. Um, did you progress towards yeah. baptism? eventually i did i did eventually progress towards baptism and funnily enough um when i was studying uh with this sister um you know when you're before you're going through your questions they kind of advise you on how to live the jw life and um i remember there was one statement that she made and she was kind of like to me rachel when you become a jw um or when you become a baptized sister, make sure that you're replacing your worldly friends with people within um, the truth, because they're going to act as your protection, your armor against the world. And what she was essentially saying to me, because she knew that I had friends who were outside of the truth, um, she was saying to me that I needed to get rid of them for people within the organization. And in hindsight, I'm so glad I didn't. <laughs> I'm so glad because what a lonely existence that would have been. Mm -hmm. Such a lonely existence. Yeah, yeah. So when you got baptized, what was that whole experience like? I mean, did it change anything for you when where the religion is concerned? That's a good question. When I got baptized, I was, you know what, the lead up to it, I was so excited. You know, I thought when I hit the water, when I was fully immersed, I'd come up a new person. Like um, my dreams would come true or something. I'd have all these loads of friends within the organization, ETC. Um, and after my baptism, the buzz died down very quickly within a day. I realized that it was nothing special. God's Holy Spirit didn't come pouring down on me. <laughs> and that <laughs> it just seemed like a gimmick, Riley. <laughs> I was like, what's going on? <laughs> this is a short lived feeling. You know, I thought that I don't know what I expected, but I thought it would be a lot more than it turned out to be, you know, because it just felt like normal straight afterwards. Um, it wasn't anything special. I didn't make a whole load of new friends. No, people congratulated me and were like, welcome to the family. You're finally able to, you know, have the hope of paradise secured. But everyday life was the same. Quite boring. Right. So, so it was a, a huge anticlimax. 
absolutely an anti-climax absolutely within a day of getting baptized i realized well this is no different from before just you have a title now yeah so how how long after your baptism did you start to become very disillusioned with the organization oh that's a very good question when did i get baptized i think i got baptized in i want to say 2014 2015 round about then um I think I started to notice things in 2017, I want to say. Um, I was maturing then. I was working full time as well. So I was having a bit more contact with the world. Um, uh, I say the world, it's not the world. I was having contact with normal people. <laughs> um, and I started to realize that I was kind of missing out and I wasn't really reaching the milestones of a 21 year old I was 21 at that time and there were certain behaviors and things that I was noticing like the fact that people who are my age in neighboring congregations were already married they're already starting lives as if they'd lived you know 20 25 plus years um as if they'd had loads of experience even though they were still so young and what i realized riley was the difference between my friends in the world um and um people who i knew within the organization who were my age people in the world were allowed to grow at a slower rate so they were allowed to experience different things Whereas me at the age of 21, I was working full time, um, you know, I was attending meetings regularly. I felt older than I was. Just simply because I don't know what it is, but there's that pressure to always be a certain way. You're not allowed to make mistakes. You're not because if you make a mistake as a baptized person, you're going to get punished for it. And your punishment can be... Um, disfellowshipping which as a young person you don't want to happen because that will ruin your kind of social status um and so what i realized is that i was maturing but not like how i wanted to mature i was basically um an adult who'd skipped all the fun parts yeah that's a, that's a really good way of explaining it actually yeah and so um, when I started to realize all this and also um, other things I was realizing is the unfair treatment of um, brothers and sisters. And also there was a social hierarchy within the congregation. Um, my congregation was notorious for being quite snobby. Um, and so I, I noticed that there was um, certain categories and leagues that people were in depending on how much wealth they had. And you were treated differently for that um yeah and all these things and also the clicks the clicks was still very very big it was still very hard to kind of make more friends because those clicks that had been pre-existing were still there and so those things really started to show up more i think when i as i got older what was your response to those things and how did they affect you well, I used to get quite frustrated by them um, because I thought, why is no one changing this? If we're meant to be a worldwide brotherhood who's the happiest ever, 
why is why are people seeing this and not doing anything about it especially the elders um so you know i used to have conversations with people and ask why are there clicks why is this and that happening etc and i'd always be referred to the bible where it says that um i can't remember what the particular verse or the chapter is um but kind of where it talks about people being imperfect and that thing these things are are going to happen because we're imperfect and it's not a paradise earth yet so that's where i was always steered they always steered me in that direction where it's not a solid good enough answer we all know that but it's good enough for jw's <laughs> so um and then they also used to kind of then put it onto you so if you're seeing these things you should do something about it so it's never an organizational thing that needs to be changed you do it individually yourself if you see it happening um and you know yeah it's really bad that's something that really wound me up as um as a witness as well the problem was always with you whether or not the problem was with you the problem was with you you know it was just so frustrating yeah absolutely and you know you start to think well if i'm making all this effort and if it's an individual thing why is it that some people are allowed to get away with being complete idiots (laughs) you know or like excluding others why is it that me as an individual i'm trying to be a better person but all these people are not doing the same so how is that fair you know the weights aren't balanced um um so that was very frustrating um yeah and i i i guess i used to accept it because i thought well it's not paradise yet there's nothing i can really do and also another thing is it's all in the hands of Jehovah, you know. I love to say that. All uh, in the hands I of Jehovah. hate hearing that. <laughs> it's so and annoying. Can... Just leave it in Jehovah's hands. Honestly. Yes, and you just think to yourself, where's the accountability? There's no accountability that's being taught to people, you know. If it's all in the hands of Jehovah, then we don't need to do anything, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So when did you first start... Um, thinking about moving away from from the organization um that happened in 2019 officially i i would say um i was working a very stressful job i was missing a lot of meetings and i was just feeling low spiritually as they would say and I remember talking to an elder who advised me that what I was feeling was spiritual sickness. So I needed to spend more time in the ministry and perhaps look at not doing as many hours at work and putting um, a lot more effort into serving Jehovah. And so I kind of, I took that advice. So I quit my job and um, I started auxiliary pioneering and just like you know with my baptism I thought that it was going to bring about this feeling of just like bliss and just happiness euphoria I suppose Um, and I guess for the first day or two it kind of did but then another anti-climax and I started to realize that uh, 
well, this isn't actually how I thought it would be. And this has only made me feel marginally better. And I think that was because of quitting my high pressure job. Um, I still was unhappy with the way that things were happening in the organization um, and within my congregation. So I decided to book myself a trip to Zimbabwe and just get away. Um, so once I did that, I flew out and um, it took me away from my congregation and from prying eyes. And I was just able to just be alone with myself, I suppose. Um, I was still attending meetings and everything, but it also gave me a different perspective. So now I could draw comparisons from um, my congregation in England and my congregation in Zimbabwe. And that was eye-opening because then I started to critically think and critically analyse what I was involved in. And when I started to draw um, these comparisons with both places, I started to see that it was the things that I was seeing were happening across the board and it seemed to be an organisational thing. And then as I started to question more and more, I started to realise that I had more, I had better relationships with people outside of the religion than I did within the religion. Because within the religion, it was always filled with um, competitive, uh, people being competitive with each other. So who's doing more hours? Who's doing this? Who's becoming, who's working their way towards becoming an elder, ministerial servant? Who's pioneering, you know? And there was always this competition to be the best, right? And on top of that, my goodness, can Jehovah's Witnesses gossip? Oh, oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I could tell you stories. <laughs> oh, you're not wrong. You're not wrong on that one at all. They are terrible, but they gossip so much. And you just pray and hope that you're not the week's gossip, right? You have to make sure you're on your best behavior, otherwise you will be gossiped about. And you know, your, so your social status will inevitably go down because not only does it go um, in one congregation, it spreads like wildfire. You'll be the talk of the whole circuit within one month. <laughs> uh, so the gossip factor, and then the clicks, you can't make friends who, um, because everyone's already got a click. You know, everyone's already got a group of friends that they associate with. They'll say hi to you and everything like that. But to get into that group, no, it won't happen. Um, and then also living out in the in the countryside, kind of, you'll find a lot of competing families. And what I mean by that is the money thing. Um, and my congregation was really known for its snobbery and for just having a certain class of people i suppose you could say <laughs> so you'd find that <laughs> so you'd find that um one family would buy this four by four and then the next family maybe a few months down the line would buy this four by four and it just kept on like that and you just thought to yourself yeah you just thought to yourself well aren't we meant to be living frugally and being humble this doesn't show any humility, does it? Um, and all these little things. 
So, you know, um, after my trip to Zimbabwe, I made myself a promise. I came back in January. I made myself a promise that I'll never attend another meeting after that. Neither will I read any more JW publications because it's all fake. And I took my stance and I wrote it in my calendar. And I was like, because um, I attended a meeting in the Decem- in December 2019. And then in the January when I came back, I didn't attend any more meetings. And is that was that the last meeting you ever went to? Absolutely, it was. Wow, wow. So your your experience is, is unique because it, it seems that you, you woke up without ever researching the organisation and its doctrines and its history. You woke up simply yeah. from the effect that it was having on you um, emotionally. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And also, it was really interesting because um, I'm always very observant. Um, I like to observe people and the way that they act and what they do. Um, And I think that's simply from spending so much time alone as a child. (laughs) I think that's where it comes from. But what I realised was that it's very easy to tell when people are being fake or disingenuine. And that's something that I found within the organization. And I thought to myself, if they're being disingenuine, that then must mean that this can't be the true organization of Jehovah. Because how can disingenuine people inherit the earth? It makes no sense. When there are genuine people out in the world who do a much better job of being better people, you know? So when I started to think about all these things, I just then, um, of course, wanted to do my research on the actual society, um, not using their publications. And then that's when I started to watch XJW videos and do my own research on that kind of perspective, on the history of... um, Jehovah's Witnesses and also what they teach and I was blown away I was blown away by things that I didn't even know about that weren't taught to me about the um I think they said that Armageddon was going to come about maybe five times (laughs) I think um I didn't know about this and I was just so shocked that these things were hidden and that they weren't in plain sight to active followers of the religion um and so I I can just remember um reading it and I just had to I stopped reading and I looked up and I was like oh my gosh I've been lied to my whole life Um, which kind of backed up, you know, not only seeing the fakeness within the the religion, but also then doing my research and seeing all these lies that were put onto followers. I then realised that I had made the right decision. And I was really glad that I kind of went with my gut feeling. Um, But yeah, it was it was crazy. (laughs) How did it make you feel finding out all of this uh, negative stuff about the organisation? Because you'd already woken up. Um, So when you done your research and you learned all of these things, did you feel good knowing that you've researched things that have backed up the feelings you you already had? Or was it just like complete shock and disappointment? How, How did it feel? 
That's a good question. I think it was a mixture of emotions. Um, the one emotion that I remember feeling was anger. I felt pure anger. I felt anger that an organization was developed to manipulate people and to suit an agenda of people at the top. It was like a triangle scheme. And I felt angry because I'd seen people over the years sacrifice their lives, their livelihoods, um, in the process of trying to attain something that is fake, that is man-made. So my initial feelings towards it was anger. And then afterwards, I felt upset. I felt upset at myself that I didn't see it sooner, that I'd wasted, um, at this point, it was 24 years of my life, um, pursuing something that was going to have no added benefit to myself. Um, and then afterwards, I felt relief. That's when the relief washed over because um, I realized that I'd gotten out at the right time for me and that there was still time for me to do all those things that I'd missed out on as a young person. Um, yeah, I think those are the three main kind of emotions that I felt. Yeah, that's interesting. At different stages. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, looking back on my own experience, um, when I started waking up, mm-hmm. my first feelings were relief, but the relief didn't last for very long. Um, yeah. I think I felt relief to start with because it was at the height of the pandemic, and mm-hmm. I, I, I thought it was the Great Tribulation. I thought this was the start of the Great Tribulation. So yeah, Armageddon's coming and I'm going to die. You yeah. know, a fireball is going <laughs> to strike me from the heavens or something. <laughs> so when I woke up and realised that all of this is false, I felt relief straight away. But then afterwards, that's when I started to feel mm-hmm. the anger and the resentment and the disappointment and the, yeah. and the grief as well. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, we, we, we go through a, a whole spectrum of emotions, not necessarily all in the same order as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So how do you feel now? I mean, it's been, uh, I'd say, just about a year since you woke up. It's been a year and a half now. Well, a year and a bit, actually, not a half yet. Yeah. Gosh, how do I feel now? I feel amazing, Riley. That is the honest truth. Um, When I was waking up, it literally felt like I was a baby because I was reintroducing myself to the world as this person who needed to relearn everything. My whole perspective on the world, um, the way it works, and also my worldview was completely distorted with JW thinking. And so now, a year and a bit later, I've done all that relearning that I need to do. I'm still, it's a continuous journey, but I'm in a much better state, mentally, emotionally, and physically. What I realized that um, was that I was deeply depressed as a Jehovah's Witness. And this not only affected my mental health, but it affected me physically without realizing it. Because you know when your emotions are 
not in check and you don't know quite what's going on, it does affect you physically as well. So the whole spectrum, yeah, I was just not in good shape. So now that I've left, I'm just, I am, I think, the Rachel that I would have wanted to be back then, but I needed to go through this process. That's that's really uplifting to hear you say that. So, you know, you, it's obvious that you're in a much better place now. Absolutely. So what goals are you pursuing? Oh, my gosh. Okay. So the first thing um, that I did upon leaving completely was I wanted to get a higher education. I was like, now that the world is my oyster, let me reach what I wanted to do. So um, I applied to uni, so now I'm studying. Um, so I'm studying for a degree um, in international business. And um, alongside that, I'm doing my art. And it's amazing because I've gone through all these kind of negative emotions of, you know, coming out of the religion, finding myself, um, defining my identity as Rachel, um, the XJW, I suppose you could say. And through all that pain has come something beautiful because it's fueled my artistic, my creativity in ways that I could never have imagined. And that's a factor that I didn't realize um, was being suppressed as a Jehovah's Witness was my creativity. Because you're always kind of policed um, with what you can do. You can't create artwork that's politically driven or socially driven because those are factors that they always warn against because it's worldly and you're not to have anything to do with the world so you have to play it very safe but now i can say whatever i want and i can use my art to do the talking for me so those are the things that i'm actively pursuing now and then also i'm dating now <laughs> i don't know whether i'm meant to say that on here but <laughs> that's absolutely fine <laughs> You're allowed now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I'm having fun doing that and just, oh, just also, and also Riley, just being able to dress how I want to, to style myself how I want to, things like that. Um, but yeah, just becoming a better version of myself, essentially. Yeah, that, that's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And, and you wear it very well. It's obvious that, you know, your, your life now is having a very positive effect on you. Absolutely. I hope so. <laughs> That's great. So it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much for sharing your story Thank with you us. Thank you so much for having me, Riley. You're most welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I just, you know, wish you all the best. I wish nothing but good things for you. And I just hope that you continue pursuing your dreams thank you so much and i wish the same for you <laughs> thank you all so much for watching i'm sure you'll join me in wishing rachel all the best of success in her new life of freedom if you haven't already done so please like and subscribe to the channel for more of such interviews thanks again for watching i hope you enjoyed it 
please proceed to the Jexit in an orderly fashion and I'll see you in the next one. Thank you so much for watching to the very end of the video. If you haven't already done so, please like, leave a comment and subscribe to the channel. If you like my work and want to help me continue doing it, please support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Jexit underscore 2020. And with that, I'd like to sincerely thank these very special patrons who make these videos possible.